welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, I'm honored to welcome Professor Sidney Finkelstein. Professor Finkelstein is the Stephen Roth Professor of Management at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. He holds a master's degree from the London School of Economics and a PhD from Columbia University. Professor Finkelstein has published 25 books and 90 articles, including the bestsellers, Why Smart Executives Fail and Super Bosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent, which LinkedIn Chairman Reid Hoffman calls the leadership guide for the networked age. He's also a fellow of the Academy of Management a consultant and speaker to leading companies around the world, and a top 25 on the Global Thinkers 50 list of top management gurus. Sid's research and consulting work often relies on in-depth and personal interviews with hundreds of people, an experience that led him to create and host his own podcast, The Sidcast, to uncover and share stories of all sorts of fascinating people in business, sports, entertainment, politics, academia, and everyday life. And I have to say that I had the honor of being interviewed by Sid on on the Sidcast, and it was an incredible experience. And I am thrilled to be interviewing Sid with him on the other side of the microphone. So in this episode, we're going to speak to Sid about his research on super bosses, how to become one, what it's like to work for one, and we'll get into a couple of other topics as well. Sid, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. It's great to uh, talk to you. It's great to be on the other side of the conversation. Yes. Uh, Well, maybe you could please start by telling us a little bit about your research uh, for Superboss. What what is a Superboss? How did you become interested in studying them? Yeah. So uh, first of all, what what is a super boss? There's no such word in the dictionary. It's kind of my own creation, combining two very well known words. And a super boss is a uh, is a leader that uh, has a track record of generating and regenerating talent on a continual basis. It's the, it's, the, it's the kind of the leader that we always talk about that we wish we had more of in organizations. They're people that, uh, that, that see the potential in others often before they see it themselves. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I also describe them sometimes as leaders who create other leaders, which at least in my, um, in my hierarchy of value, that's at the very, very top because you're able to leverage an incredible capability uh, to expand and extend the uh, the talent pool, and and so super bosses is uh, is a topic that came up when when I tried to understand at a little deeper level what really is the most important things that any organization needs to do to 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 not just hang on and survive, but to thrive into the long term. And it always gets back to people. And then once you start talking about people, which is not a new story, you start to think about, well, who are these exceptional leaders that have this this uh, outsized track record? What can we learn from them? How can we teach other people to do exactly the same thing? Yeah. So I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I'm wondering, is a byproduct of being a super boss, someone who is so good at helping others develop themselves uh, and maximize their potential that they ultimately move out of the organization at some point and, and become leaders elsewhere? And is that just part of the process? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, the, the reality is that uh, even though uh, some people would, uh, would, would, would deny it, um, you can't force anyone to work for you. Uh, they, uh, every one of us uh, is a free agent. 
And, uh, and so if we have really talented people and we help them get better and their capability set goes up and up and up, they may very well want, well, they might want our job or our boss's job, or they might, might want to, um, uh, do something completely uh, different uh, on their own. Um, and that's actually okay because the alternative is not helping them get better. And there's no, there's no logic that anyone's going to say uh, that, that says, you know, having a weaker team is a good thing. Of course, it's not. Having a stronger team is a good thing. And also keep in mind, we're living in an era now where people are not staying in the same job for, uh, for decades. I mean, the entire concept behind iRelaunch is, is a recognition of that for a particular reason. Um, but most people are saying, you know, think about millennials and Gen Z. They're not talking about uh, hanging around for the uh, gold watch after 25 years. You know, if you're able to hold on to that type of talent for two, three, four, five years, that's considered pretty good. So we should we, we need to stop worrying about talent retention as the primary goal and and start paying more attention to um, leveraging talent, talent accomplishment, getting people to do things that are that are great. And if, it, and if along the way, some of them end up leaving, uh, that's, uh, that should be actually a feather in our cap as opposed to, hey, why can't we retain everyone? Right. And I hear that some of the best managers are the people um, who really focus on that talent development piece and uh, are not threatened or worried about people uh, exiting the organization if they exit from a position of strength and feeling like that evolution was in part due to their manager and the experience they had at the, at the organization. Yeah. And, and remember also, Carol, you become, if you start to have people on your team that are doing well and that move on and you, you know, often they're moving on to another job in the same company, especially if you're growing, you're not always just leaving entirely, but right. you become a talent magnet. And in an era where finding great talent has never been more difficult and more challenging, uh, the idea that some of the top talent is going to start to look for you, look for your company when you gain that reputation, that's, that's a pretty powerful uh, asset, really, uh, to have. And so there's an interesting payoff that comes, uh, that comes with doing something that might sound a little bit counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to switch to this whole idea that being a super boss can be learned? I mean, can it really be learned? Or do you have to start with some set of innate qualities that will then be enhanced by what you learn? Yeah, uh, it's a kind of an age old question about anything related to leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are, are leaders born or are they made? And people have been talking about that for, for forever. Uh, what I did in my research is I found these um, focus really on these pretty well-known leaders that that had the super boss characteristics and, and and the track record of the super boss and then i reverse engineered it's kind of like i put them in my in my lab <laughs> and i reverse engineered what they did to come up with a set of um not not even just principles but specific actions and activities and behaviors and mindsets and all kinds of things that they did and when you boil it down into those key components it turns out that they're not uh um, they're not kind of this pixie dust thing. They're, they're not all obvious. They're not all intuitive, uh, but they're certainly learnable. And 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 I have found because I've been talking about this for five plus years now, um, mm-hmm. completely teachable. People people get it. The main thing is you have to really want to do this, and and it's not all business as usual as a as a leader as a manager. It does require you to do a couple of things that maybe you haven't thought of quite the same way before. But if you're willing to do that, 
then um, then then you absolutely could become more. I say more super boss like as a leader. It's not like it's a zero one, right? You're not a super boss or you're a super boss. It's not the world doesn't quite work work that way. You could become more. You can, you can become a more effective leader adopting the super boss practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and can we get into some of those practices, like? Um, what are the steps that people can take in order to become a super boss or super boss like, as you're saying? Right, right. Well, there's uh, there, there's a lot, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll give you a couple of examples, and yeah. we can go a little deeper as well. Um, one example, uh, the first example will be on how they find talent, because if you think about you, you think about the job of a leader and developing teams and building teams, you got you got to attract and recruit and select the right people, and then you have to develop the people. Now, there's a lot on both sides, but on the recruitment side, um, super boss leaders, uh, almost, it's almost like they have an antenna where they're always looking for talent wherever they go. They, I call them talent spotters. And mm-hmm. rather than um, just rely on their HR partners, no matter how great that HR group happens to be, they take it on as their personal responsibility to say, part of my job is to find great people. And how do you find them? You open your eyes. You start paying attention. Even, and I can't, I, there's so many examples of people have told me over, over these years. Um, even, for example, you know, you're at a restaurant, I mean, in the days that we always went to restaurants, I guess we're coming back to that now. Um, and your server is great. And what, what makes a great server? Well, getting the order right is not exactly the, what we're looking for. That's, an, that's assumed. It's, you know, the, the little bit of uh, interaction, banter, the comfort level they give you, um, the skill set that a server, for example, demonstrates is called another word for it is is our interpersonal skills or take a better word than that salesmanship or or sales uh, sales skills and there are many examples i've heard from people telling me that they they're at uh, they're at a restaurant and they start talking to server and you know it's been they, they just see something they see the spark and and they start a conversation about it and maybe not maybe, but quite often it leads to a, leads to a job. So, so the first thing that super boss leaders do when it comes to recruiting is they're always on the lookout and they take it as their personal responsibility to do this. And then the second thing they do is that they are very creative in, um, and open-minded in who they look for. And in, I call that untapped talent pools. Untapped talent pools are groups of people that for whatever reason may not have been um, may not have been considered as top candidates or even potential candidates uh, in the past. And of course, they could be d- these giant categories like gender and, and race. But, you know, let's face it, people that have been uh, that have been stay at home moms for 10 years uh, fall into the same category. Traditionally, that's, you know, that's that that that's not where people were looking. Now, you, you've seen kind of almost single handedly changed that equation. But um that would be an untapped, another example of an untapped talent pool. So they're very creative and open-minded. They're looking for people maybe where others are not. And, and I can give you a dozen examples uh, of all sorts of uh, types of untapped talent pools. Great. Well, that's a great starting point because, uh, you know, our audience is primarily relaunchers, uh, women and men who are on career break for a whole range of reasons who are looking to return. And ultimately, some of us are going to want to be super bosses ourselves when mm-hmm. when we're back into in the workforce. And so understanding what the steps are and what's involved here is 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 very relevant. So um, if you could pick uh, 
besides the, the you know always being um, looking around for for talent and and looking at sources of hidden talent, um, are, is there certain kinds of day to day or annual behaviors in terms of how you handle reviews or feedback or um, listening or something like that 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 you yeah. can illuminate for us? Sure, there's a lot there, and the the the, the my fa- my favorite thing that I learned from them is that Superboss leaders have resurrected one of the oldest um, talent development systems ever known, and that's the apprenticeship model, the master apprentice model. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the book, I talk about Leonardo da Vinci, a pretty smart guy who started as an apprentice in Verrocchio's uh, uh, workshop. So you know it goes back a long, long way. And where are these uh, apprenticeship uh, apprenticeships now? Uh, or even the mindset of an apprentice. You would see it in certain crafts. Some countries, like in Germany, it's got a little bit more tradition. But you don't see it when it comes to management and leadership. It's it's unusual, except for super boss leaders. And what that means in practice are really several things. No, number one, uh, super boss leaders delegate a lot. They give people an opportunity uh, to actually have an impact. But they don't delegate and forget. I call them hands-on delegators. They'll delegate, but they'll also be checking in formally and informally. And in a pre-COVID era, it would be just kind of walking around to the cubicle or the office and checking in unannounced uh, every now and then. It's not micromanaging because they're not telling them what to do um, and, they're, and they're not doing their job for them. But they're, they're checking in and, uh, and, and want to and, and see how they're, uh, how they're going and whatever the project is. And they're teaching them, which is a very big, a very big thing. Uh, I wrote an article on the Harvard Business Review a couple of years ago. Um, that was the title was something like "The Best Leaders Are the Best Teachers," and I really think that's uh, I really think that's true. Um, mm-hmm. And super boss leaders are, are it's kind of one on one one on one teaching. The other thing that they do when it come, under this kind of umbrella of master apprentice relationship is that they customize how they work with people in their teams, and that's a bit more unusual. Um, what it means in practice is that if I'm if I'm the leader of a team and I got I have let's say eight people in the team, of course I'm going to need to know and want to know each individual and who they are and how they tick and what they're like. That's kind of basic, right? But I'm going to want to go deeper than that if I put on my super boss hat. I'm going to want to know what your work preferences really are, especially today. Work from home, hybrid, work in the office. Some you know these things are going to become variables as opposed to um, company company policies in a lot of organizations, they're going to be adjustable. And I would adjust them by the person as much as I possibly can, knowing, of course, that sometimes everybody has to be in the same room at the same time, but that's not the way it is every day. I'm going to want to spend some time um, understanding each person's career aspirations. What do you want to, what do you want to do? What do you want to, where do you want to be? What are you thinking about in, in a year and two years and five years? And it's not written in stone, you know, people could change whatever they say, but if someone tells me, well, you know, what I'd really like to do is 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 learn how to be a more effective project manager and and then actually take on a a small PL responsibility. At least that's what that's where I want to go. So if I'm I'm that person's boss, I'm gonna say, okay, here are the capabilities that I think you're gonna need if you want to get there. Because you don't have that now, but that's where you want to go. And and whatever they happen to be. And I'm going to help you over the next couple of years, let's say, um, learn those capabilities. And how am I going to do that? I'm going to um, 
delegate to you so you learn. I'm going to create opportunities. I'm going to advocate for you uh, within the organization so that other people know, uh, know about you. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help you fulfill your goals. You're going to have to do all the work, but I'm going to open some doors for you. Now, imagine you did that. What kind of loyalty are you going to get? From, yeah. from that person. It's going to be off, off the charts. And that gets back to your earlier question about some people leaving. Yeah, some people are going to leave. But when you have a boss that does that for you, you're staying a lot longer than you might otherwise have stayed in the first place. So that's a bit of an inkling of what I mean by this master-apprentice relationship. And that's yeah. what super bosses do to develop talent. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I'm thinking now about the other side of this equation from, our, from the relauncher audience point of view. In that, you know, we're, we're going back to work again, we're interviewing, maybe we're moving around in an organization. Um, is there something, if I want to work for a super boss, like, what am I looking out for? What kind of questions do I ask the person um, to, I mean, maybe I've already observed them from afar and I can tell, um, but is there, is there a conversation I should be having with the person or with other people about the person that would be helpful in, in identifying who they are? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's really an important question. Um, I'm going to give you my favorite thing to look for, which you could okay. ask about. So let's say you get to the stage where you're interviewing with your prospective boss. Because, you know, there's plenty of interviews with HR and other people. But now you're talking to the person you're going to report to. And the question that, uh, that I want you to ask that person, and you got to phrase it in the right way, is could you tell me a little bit about some of the people that uh, have been on your team in the last few years and have moved on to other, other, other jobs? And, and it's a trick question. Because mm -hmm. if they don't know, right away you know you don't got a super boss. Because super bosses know and are proud of the people that they helped, um, that they helped advance their careers. What you really want to hear is, well, let me tell you about, you know, uh, Mary or John, a couple of examples. And, you know, she worked for me, we did this, and now she's got this job. Um, and that they speak with pride about that. Uh, so it's a little bit of a trick question, but it's a type of question that um, a, a super boss leader will be able to answer with plenty of examples. And a super boss leader also may even be able to explain how he or she continues to interact with former team members, which is another hallmark. You know, we talk about networking. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone's networking. It's critical, of course. But then there's networking that's kind of super boss style networking, which is that you're actually talking to the people that used to work for you regularly. I don't mean every week, but regularly um, right. just to check in so that when you need something and you've treated them well along the way, not only are they, an are they answering your call, they're going to they're gonna help you. Uh, and they know you and they know what your, the culture in your team is like. And they, uh, and I've seen this a lot, they're going to call you out of the blue because you've, you know, you've been, you, you, you've, you've, you've done so much for them and you've stayed in touch when they think they've got someone who's ready to move on um, and might be a perfect fit for your team, which is another fantastic thing. Anyways, that's the question I would, I would ask. And then because, especially for relaunchers that have a lot of experience and already have a network and will be expanding and extending that network as they get back into it, I would think uh, that they, 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 want, they want to ask specifically about whether anyone has seen or knows organizations where this type of culture uh, is a little bit more common, because then you're much more likely to have more super boss-like leaders. Mm -hmm. And did you, when you're doing your research, were you looking at uh, people who were direct reports to super bosses and did they tend to fall into as like 
be a certain profile or a certain type? Were they introverts or extroverts or, you know, ambitious? Or how would you describe them? Or were they varied? Because that that's part of the mix too. Yeah. So they, they, they certainly there was a lot of variation because super bosses are across so many different industries and there's different skill sets along the way. But the um, if there if there maybe two or three things I would say were the most common. One would be high aspirations. Super boss leaders really are attracted to people that want to go for something, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. That they're not just looking for a job. Um, and and you know we say you know you're looking, you're not looking for a job. You're looking for a career. It's not even a career. It's it's an accomplishment of something meaningful that has meaning to you personally as well as to the organization. And, and, and I mean, that's what we want when we have a job also. And they're looking for people that have these high aspirations, um, high aspirations for accomplishment and for, 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 for a fulfilling and meaningful impact. The second thing that is, is, a co- is common is uh, some form of intelligence. Now, we know that, but it's not just IQ. I say it that way because it's IQ or EQ or both. And uh, super boss leaders are certainly attuned to EQ because they spend a lot of time thinking about developing teams. And then the third thing I'd say, which is maybe a little bit more unusual, is creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a word in business we don't use a lot because um, mm-hmm. it sounds like an artsy word, right? Uh, I always say, you know, if you don't like the word creativity, just use innovation. You, mm-hmm. you, you're going to get the point. I like creativity as a word because it's a more personal word. And uh, super boss leaders are very creative in how they think about their jobs, and they're and and they find uh, and 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 uh, they're attracted to uh, creative people. Uh, they want to draw those types of people in because uh, they super boss leaders know that they don't have all the answers to all the problems. They know that to be successful, to hit their KPIs, if you will, fulfill their potent their own potential, their own goals, they need people that can really run with it, that don't have to be. Um, told everything they need to be told uh, and, and have that, uh, that self-confidence uh, I think is important. And then, and then this kind of creative spark to make something uh, more than, uh, than maybe what they were given. And, and that's, so those are the three things I think that are the most common, uh, mm-hmm. high aspirations, intelligence, and creativity. Mm. That's great. Thank you for laying it out like that. I really like specifics. Uh, <laughs> can you, um, Talk to us about some of the favorite interviews that you had when you were doing the research for your book, certain individuals. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I interviewed about 250 people, um, some super bosses, but many more uh, direct reports, uh, protégés, as I, as I call them, mm-hmm. uh, because that's how you really can find out um, what, what, what the leader, what the leader is like. And um, so one of my favorites was uh, Lauren Michaels from Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, uh, of course, it's such an interesting company or, or a TV show and organization and a track record that goes on and on and on mm-hmm. for decades of tremendous talent. But he was so um, um, self-aware and alert to what he was doing as a leader, which is unusual. It's not what you ordinarily think about for someone in, say, in the entertainment industry and then in comedy on top of it. But you don't get to run a show like that for 40 plus years without having a pretty wide skill set. And one of the interviews, he was telling me about a, um, a management practice or a leadership practice that he said he invented. And uh, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And then, I, I don't know, he was, uh, 
we were having a good a good chat, and he said, uh, "I'm I'm even thinking about writing about this, maybe putting it into a book." And then I, I don't know where I got the nerve for this, but I said, "You don't you don't really want to write write this, Lauren. You should tell me about it, and I'll write it and put it in a book." Mm. And he, he he let me get away with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and and the idea was that at SNL, you need uh, the way you're successful is you need to be really good at at collaboration, of course, right? Because you're creating skits and teams, but you also need to be good at competition. And it it turned out to be a really interesting insight that applied to a lot of other companies as well, because most of the time we talk about teams and collaboration and, you know, cooperation, we got that, but the competition part, not everybody is comfortable with that. But in fact, he said, well, you know, we have two and a half hours of content on Friday and we're only going to have one and a half hours on Saturday night. Mm. We're, we're, you know, to cut that down in the last 24 to 36 hours is 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 a definition of competition because it's a scarce resource everybody wants not everybody's going to get it how's that going to happen and who are you competing with you're competing with other actors or performers costume designers set designers writers and you're also collaborating with the very same people so you need to know how to do both um in in careful and subtle ways and i thought what an interesting uh, insight that he had that and that that he he knew what he was doing uh, mm-hmm. in fact so yeah he was one of my definitely one of my favorites wow um well i love hearing about that you know so many great quotes from him i i there's something about you know uh the skit goes on not because it's perfect but because it's 11:30 yeah <laughs> <laughs> but um but wow uh, yeah i've always uh, admired him um and it, it's so interesting to hear your perspective on him and then um do you work in the sports world at all and uh, are you asked to apply what you wrote about and researched to athletic organizations and coaches and players and in fact, uh, uh, that has happened both in the research and then afterwards. Um, Bill Walsh is one of my super bosses, the NFL the football coach from the San Francisco 49ers that built this incredible track record of assistant coaches that uh, dominated the Super Bowl for and continues to dominate the Super Bowl winners and, and losers of two top teams for, for decades. And, and there were a few other sports. There's actually a uh, disproportionate number of sports and foodie type examples because I love both oh. those topics. Yeah. Um, Alice Waters is a, uh, I think I even start the book with Alice Waters. Yeah. And, you know, Chef Penny's legendary. In any event, after uh, after the the book came out, it's, uh, I, uh, I've talked to a lot of people in the world of sports that are just, that are applying these ideas, that are thinking about these, these ideas. For example, um, Mark Shapiro is the CEO of the Toronto Blue Jays. And uh, he actually was on my uh, podcast, on, on the mm. Sidcast. And, mm-hmm. and he's one of the most thoughtful uh, um, CEOs I've ever met, let alone in the sports industry anywhere. And he's, uh, he's a leadership guru. And um, he had read uh, Sewer Bosses before I even contacted him about uh, coming onto my podcast, which of course is always a good sign. And, uh, and then the other, uh, the other example is Kevin Demoff, who's the um, chief operating officer of the Los Angeles Rams, also in the NFL, actually a former student of mine who first cued me in to the Bill Walsh uh, story, as it turns out. And, um, you know, managing talent professional sports is a complicated story. It's also everything, I mean, almost everything. Uh, and um, so there's a lot of, you know, long story short, there's a lot of applicability to, uh, to sports, to entertainment. I, I did not actually find a, a sector, an industry, where Superboss leadership was not relevant. Uh, 
there were some areas that I, I'll call it a harder sell. Um, for example, in government, uh, people get it, but um, whenever there's a strong seniority system in place, mm-hmm. where there's a lockstep career ladder that re- that where you only move up with time, uh, it's it, it, a system like that is antithetical to the sewer boss logic because sewer bosses do not promote people because they've been in a position for a period of time. They promote people because they're great and because they're going to be even greater. And so that that's uh, any sector that has uh, seniority in place is a really powerful uh, kind of constraint on the management of talent. That, those are places where super bosses, super boss logic is a little bit tougher to put into place. Wow, that's so interesting. It's making me think about whether does does the do the super boss um, concepts apply globally? Because I'm just thinking in Japan, for example, um, relaunching has been slower to take off there. Uh, in part because there are age rigidities in corporate hierarchies. And so, for example, you know, when I went back to work, I was 42 years old. I was working for a 37-year-old. And, um, you know, often the relauncher is going to be older than their boss. And when I was talking to people um, in Japan, they were like, that they would have to have like a dotted line relationship to someone who is older than they are in the organization because that they're uh, – that is just not done. And maybe it's being done more uh, um, frequently now, but uh, I remember having those conversations uh, over the last 10 years. So any comments about um, uh, other cultures, other uh, other um, geographies where um, the super boss concepts may or may not be applicable? Yeah. So after the um, uh, after this, the first super bosses book was published, this is 2016, I decided to do a much deeper dive on global uh, potential global super bosses. And I put together another research team and, and we looked at must have been a dozen different countries. And we found super bosses in, um, in all of them. But there were, uh, for, in some countries, there were some differences. So, for example, in China, you have Jack Ma from Alibaba, mm. who certainly a super boss. And you look at a lot of people that work for him that have become very, very uh, big entrepreneurs themselves. But in China, it's, uh, there is one aspect that's not as common, and that is you don't switch out of your company nearly as fast as in America or in some, actually, I think the U.S., maybe with one or two other common uh, examples, uh, is, is, is in the extreme when it comes to people, I guess, to, to, to the flow of talent for people moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, and and that goes both ways voluntarily when you want to go and get a new job, but also uh, the company uh, a company being able to um, um, to remove people when they when they feel that's appropriate. In Europe, there are many more restrictions. But back to back to China culturally, there's so, there's so much pride in their company um, that they're less likely to want to kind of to one of your first questions. They're less likely to you know they're getting better and better, but they're less likely to want to go somewhere else because that's a sign of disloyalty. And, and so there could be something, you know, and there could be some, something there, like you mentioned, Japan and China and some other, other countries. Nonetheless, I was able to find people with, um, yeah. with the same profile um, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in different countries. Interesting. Um, so we're getting a little short on time, and there are a couple of questions I want to ask you that um, are sort of tangentially related to what we're talking about. And what, one of them is more broadly, you know, we talked about um, who how to look for someone who could potentially be a super boss if, if when you're returning to work. Um, more broadly, what does a, a great job 
look like and what are all the different factors? And I'm thinking about you drawing on like your vast uh, life's work and, and so much that you've published and, and uh, produced on, on the thought leadership side of, about this topic. So um, a great job or a job that people love tends to have three or four characteristics um, that, are, that, are, that are common. One is mastery, where you feel like you have the ability to become an expert, a master over some topic, and you, uh, you enjoy the continual learning that is required. That learning is, 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 is actually a really good thing, and you like that type of, you like that type of learning. Um, and, and people that feel like they can never quite figure out how to, uh, you know, they're always swimming uphill and really struggling. Uh, that's okay in short in the short term because it's good to have challenges that you could overcome. But if that's the way it always is, it's not nearly as enjoyable of a uh, of a job. And the second thing is uh, autonomy. And maybe in a post COVID world, we're going to see more of that because people can work at home a little bit. That I mean, that is one of the factors, not the only. But the more freedom people have over over the projects they do, over the work they do, even how they do it, the better. There are obviously a lot of constraints in a lot of companies, and some don't give you any autonomy or hardly any autonomy. But this is something that's been seen in research and sociology and social psychology for, for years and years, the power of autonomy. Uh, and, 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 then, uh, and then impact. When you can have a positive impact on, well, we could say the world, but we could also say other people, um, those jobs are just much more fun, much more enjoyable. You feel like you're, you know, there's meaning to those, to those jobs. Everyone, everyone searches for meaning, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, that is happening. And meaning can come, very often comes when we do things for other people. Uh, and, and, and so that type of impact. Oh, and, and that, the other thing that, that I would say is, uh, that's come up in research is, is kind of being connected to other people, so a social dimension. Mm. Uh, when, when you, when you can develop social and interpersonal, positive interpersonal relationships with other people, that that makes a job attractive uh, as well. So those are the, those are the, uh, those are, that's kind of the gold standard right there. If you can, if yeah. you can get, if you can get those four or as many of them as you possibly can, that's a great thing. Yeah. You know, when people are relaunching after career breaks and they've had a lot of time to evaluate what is most important to them. We do often find that that impact piece, the, the social action piece, that component um, weighs pretty heavily uh, in what they're looking for, for for when they relaunch their their careers. And you know, I bet that that's true for you know now as we go towards a post. I say post COVID, it's not exactly right, but you know right. what I mean. Yeah, people have sacrificed, people have struggled, and people have died. And yeah, yeah, you know, we know time is short. So impact has never been more important. And maybe that's one of the reasons why so many people have left jobs uh, because they just didn't feel like they were, that their jobs made a difference. And that's what people, that's what people want, which is a very, very big uh, kind of warning sign for employers that they've got, they've got to be thinking about, uh, they've got to be thinking about how to create jobs where people really can make a difference, can have an impact. And, 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 and this is true, not just COVID, not just for launchers, relaunchers, you said, but also for millennials and Gen Z who they want that seat at the table um, yeah. and, and they're expecting it. And it's, and it's different than what, what it was. 
Actually, on on that topic, um, and and also this this reminded me when you were talking just just a little bit earlier on the topic of mastery. I'm just wondering, do you lean more toward the Malcolm Gladwell outliers 10,000 hours theory, or the David Epstein range? Try so many things, um, as many things as you as possible early on. Do you lean yeah. one way or the other in, in that uh, conversation? That has got to be the greatest question ever. It's it's like a real geeky question I, and practical at the same time. So I love it. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, diversity in every way you can possibly measure, including each of us in our experiences. I think it's more fun. I think especially when you're younger, I don't know whether this will apply for relaunchers. It might because it's, an, it's kind of like a rebirth of sorts. Um, how do you really know where your passion is going to lie? Uh, and, 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 um, I, I think it's by doing something that you discover passion as opposed to say, I'm passionate about this and therefore I'm going to do that. Well, not everyone knows, especially going, thinking about young, young people, people, you know, just graduating from school, you can't possibly, you know, so I'm, uh, I'm a believer in, in breadth of experience. I also think that there's some high, there's some big risks to, um, building a career based just on expertise. Uh, I think, we do. I think it's important, but it requires constant tending and adjustment and, uh, and not just learning, but uh, unlearning because things that worked before uh, that are part of our, our bundle of knowledge are not necessarily true now. And we have to kind of get rid of them. And that's hard. That's really hard to uh, that's really hard to do. So, yeah, I, 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 I think that's right. And, and then 10,000 hours thing that comes from the research on deliberate practice, uh, which is really amazing research. Uh, and what is lost in outliers and some of the simple um, depictions of this idea is that it matters what the 10,000 hours are. It's not mm. like, just look at the clock, 10,000 hours are up, we're great. Uh, in fact, and I'm, I'm connected back to super bosses, the intensity of working for some super bosses, somebody I spoke to said working for so-and-so was, you know, one year of working for so-and-so was like seven years working for anyone else. And in other words, the intensity and the nature of the experience means that you can move up that, if 10,000 is your magic number, you can move that, move up there much faster. And, and you could spend 10,000 hours, but if you're not being challenged, if you're not creating um, a place where, where there's deep learning, then not every one of those hours are going are to add up that much. So it's about the quality of the experience that counts. Mm-hmm. Wow, so much wrapped up in there. But um, let me just wrap up by asking you one question about the SIDCAST. Uh, have you done 10,000 hours yet on the SIDCAST? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I don't know if I'll last that long. <laughs> but it's the quality of the hours that counts. That's what it yeah. is. Um, so anyway, um, I know I, I said in the intro just a brief reason why you started it. But um, was there a moment when you thought, this is it. I'm absolutely doing this. And, or was it sort of a long time coming? It's, it, it was something I was thinking about for, for a while. My, my nephew always said I should do, I should do it. Uh, but what really happened is, um, it's as simple as, as this in-depth conversations with people you don't know, uh, where you get to know them and it's just intellectually and even emotionally interesting, if you will. Uh, those are rare. You know, people we know, um, you might have heart-to-hearts with people, sure, um, but we know them, and so there's not a lot to reveal. And mm-hmm. so the conversations are not not really like. And then people you don't know, well, it takes a while to build that up. So uh, 
I, I think about the the um, the classic dinner party, and it's funny that you know we've been COVID and there haven't been these dinner parties. But you're at a dinner party and you're seated next to someone that you don't know, and you're having a conversation. And what is that? Uh, and, and and that conversation just fantastic. You just find it so interesting, even if you even if you knew nothing or even couldn't care about what that other person was doing in their life and their career. It was just so interesting. That's what I'm trying to replicate um, mm. in the in the Sidcast. Um, I, uh, I want to personally feel that after the hour or so of the conversation is over, I really found that fun, interesting. And along the way, you know, we're going to learn something. Uh, there'll be insights. But I just want it to be uh, in the moment, kind of in a mindfulness <laughs> uh, hat on, in the moment, just really, really interesting. And, and I'm hoping that if I feel that, then a lot of listeners will feel the same way. Yeah, well, having been interviewed by you, you're an excellent interviewer, and I had so much fun having the conversation. So uh, I I got to experience that firsthand. Um, Sid, we're going to wrap up now, and I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that is, what is the best piece of what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about today? Well, we did touch on this, but I'll I'll just uh, elaborate in this way, which is. When we talk about impact, um, as I have gone through my own career, uh, a lot of things have fallen by the wayside as I've done things and have been in, don't need to do it again. But impact uh, just becomes bigger and bigger part of that uh, part of the pie chart of what I care about. In fact, it overwhelms the pie chart. And impact could be defined any way that you want. You know, everyone's different. We don't have to tell anyone else how to have impact. But the idea that you want to do something that is meaningful for yourself and for other people, that's what, that's, that's what life is about. And so that's what we, that's what I think relaunchers, I, not that I think relaunchers should do this. I think relaunchers will greatly benefit themselves by do by doing that, by thinking about that. Uh, and, and um, you know, I had a, I had a guest on my podcast, Philippe Bourguignon, who's was fantastic. And he says, you know, a career for the sake of a career is, is, is a waste. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it should be about what you're trying to accomplish and the impact you want to have. And I think that's just exactly right. Mm. That's, that's, that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Um, Sid, how can people find out about what your what the latest is that you're working on? Well, you know, we're talking about the Sidcast, so that's S-Y-D, cast, C-A-S-T. Um, and I hope people will, will tune into that, to, uh, to that and, and definitely listen to our conversation, uh, Carol, and, and plenty, plenty of others. And, and that's a good place to see kind of where my head is at at any point in time. But mm-hmm. the, you, the other thing I say is I don't actually play hard to get on Google. And you Google my name and there's more than enough. But the, the Dartmouth Tuck website has a lot of material, a lot of, a lot of links to books that I've done a lot of free downloads and resources um, and, and media and other things like that. So that's kind of the one-stop shop, I Excellent. suppose. Okay, so it's sydcast.com. Is that correct? As that's right. Or, or you go to Apple or Spotify and put in the, the, the Sidcast. Okay, podcast. excellent. Sid, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure also, Carol. Thanks. It was great. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information on I Relaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to irelaunch.com. 
And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.